Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, designers discussing design. We're on episode 102, Hear Us Roar. I hope that's a Katy Perry reference. I don't know. What? I thought we were doing the sequel to the, the 101 Dalmatians or something like that. Oh, nice. I have a game coming out called Roar, so I was like... I know. Do I... <laughs> Are you setting me you, up? You, you, you kind of plug everything, so... Plug something? Yeah, I'm going to plug stuff. Well, you know, plug, it's that, actually... plug that right now. Plug that thing in your hand. Yeah, okay. So, first plug. Card Caddy. Check this awesome thing out. So, it's a hard plastic shell. It fits a standard deck or 25 sleeved cards. And then you can open it up and then slide it in beside. And then you have a little discard section. It's so cool. So thanks, thanks, Card Caddy, for hooking me up. So will they, will they, are they going to make one that fits like a full standard deck sleeve, like 60 or 50? Uh, well, so it fits a full deck, but if sleeved, it only fits like 25 yeah, sleeves. Yeah, so what I'm asking is, will I think they have different sizes. Yeah, because that'd be nice. Go to narrowshill.com. Look at that. I gave a whole proper plug. Wow, for the low, low cost of Very sending good. you a caddy. Send, awesome. me, send me free stuff and I say stuff. <laughs> I'm easily purchased. He really especially, is. Especially hats. I like hats. So, <laughs> so if, if uh, Renegade and, uh, and Fantasy Flight are listening, hint, hint, who our upcoming guests are, um, yeah, I, I can be easily bought with hats. Bought by hats. <laughs> but, I like hats too, but... But it, know, but before all, we go there, the Dylan, how you doing? What you been up to lately? Doing okay. I actually uh, played a game of Thief last week, which Ooh. was uh, which is rather interesting. The new uh, redone version. Yeah, what you think of it? It looks gorgeous. It was um, very eighties. It still had a lot of that eighties kind of feel to it. The okay. I've got nothing but princesses. What do I do? Well, you've got to negotiate with everyone, and you know you may. It's just it's going to be a different game for everybody, and. Um, the the thing is, we played maybe four or five hours, and um, in the end, we had two guys who were fist bumping. They had totally won the game, and I assassinated the king. And in the next turn, the entire game had been won by the two other guys. So, if you don't like that kind of thing, not really your game. But it was a good fun time, and we drank a lot of beer, so that's good. What about you, Sen? What you've been doing? I've been I've been marking <laughs> I've been marking lots and lots and lots of projects and papers, uh, which is which is good. But uh, other than that, I've got word down from our 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 new overlords <laughs> and and Daryl's new overlord as well. Um, I was just gonna uh, say I feel like this is an IDW moment. It's totally an IDW moment. So our new overlords have given me the missive that I need to make content for ten or twenty different teams for a, a an, an imaginary sport. Very That's good. what I've got to do. Very so Daryl is going to help me play test that this weekend a bit. And then I've got a, uh, I just got an email today about a very cool thing that we're hopefully going to jump onto, which is uh, um, an up here, Daryl. Daryl might actually know this, what this is. Okay. Really? Spatial temporal agents. Yes. Luc Besson. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All right. Well, that's exciting. That's a thing. So that's, that might happen. Yeah. That's amazing. 
Yeah, I don't know what I to love... do about it yet because it yeah. hasn't come out. But yeah, anyway. The answer is come to France, obviously. Well, yeah. obviously. Oh, actually, you probably would have re really easy access to, to uh, <laughs> uh, Les Bains Désignés. I feel like we've lost all our audience. Yeah, we probably just have. But anyway, so let's get to the reason why we have the show today, yeah, which is our wonderful guests. So with us today, we have uh, Sarah Erickson. Sarah is with Renegade Games. And here she comes. Come on. Technology. Send. It's up to send. Or not. Show in broadcast. And yay! But you have to, yeah. Hey. How's it going? Good. There's Sarah right there. And we're going to bring in Amber Cook right here, the one and only. Come on, technology. What are you doing? It's failing you today, man. It's failing it totally you. is. We had music today, but we don't have Amber. She's just trying to build up suspense. I would count that as a loss. And... Oh, come on. Ah, there we go. There she is. Yay. There's Amber. Amber, you got to unmute yourself. I'm trying. There you go. There you go. It likes you now. Yay. Hi. Sarah, you doing all right? Yeah. You have to, you have, Sarah, you have to unmute yourself too, I think. Oh, yep. There you go. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and tell us where you're, where you're calling in from because that was pretty funny when you said, hey, I can do it, but. <laughs> so I'm actually on the airport that, or at the airport right now on my way to uh, Reno, which is where the Gamma Trade Show will be next year. So I'm going to go and check it out and see what's going to go on there and pick out all the good marketing spots on the walls or whatever, and then move, go all the way to Gamma after that. Yeah, so basically, Daryl, she's saying that you're late. Obviously. <laughs> Hey, that's not that's not my job. That's true. That's true. That's Brian Merlong guy. Is that's that's be that's sad. Brian's job now, and Amber, Amber, we've lost Amber again. What's going on here? She's just got some backlight going on. That's all. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? We can. You're just very dark and ominous. Yeah, cool I see that. backlight stuff. Weird. You're pulling a John Gilmore. Yeah, it's very very bizarre. Um, I didn't change anything. Um, Anyway, uh, I'm I'm in California, and there's lots of trees behind me, which you could see <laughs> if, if it wasn't completely dark behind me. Um, nice. I I can't get I can't even click on Amber. Yeah. We can hear her, so that's good. Yeah. Oh, there she is. Finally. Oh wait. Okay, I'm I'm gonna not click on anything. <laughs> and then okay, Amber, talk. Okay, I'm talking now. Is this working? There, now we can, yes. Okay. It's still dark though, right? Yes. Yeah, that's really like weird. Like ominously backlit. Okay, so let's get this show started now that we've got all this going on. Um, <clears throat> Daryl, do you want to yeah. start off with the first question? Sure. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I just, yeah, technolo technology, you know. Go ahead, We're Darryl. all good. Awesome. Well, why don't we just start off with the real easy lob balls of just giving people context of who people are. So, Sarah, why don't you explain a little bit uh, about what all you do with Renegade beyond yeah, scouting sure. locations? <laughs> so, I am the director of sales and marketing at Renegade, and I essentially give people information they need. That's the main thing that I do, really. So, I am sending out information about new games. I'm telling our consumers about new stuff we have going on. I'm creating new programs. I talk to our distributors who are very important as part of all of this. And I go to a lot of shows, give presentations, 
our website updated. Um, as a small company, we each wear a lot of hats, and so we get to do a lot of fun stuff. The other thing I've been working on lately is I've actually gotten to be the producer on one of the games we have coming up in a few months, which is super exciting. So I get to do everything from working with the designer on game development, working with our graphic designers, uh, working with the artists, so all of those different parts of the whole game all the way to release and beyond. So it's been really cool to get to see all the backside of how all of that works recently. Sounds really cool. I'm going to pass more or less the same question over to Amber. Amber, if you can tell us what you do and who you are and, and, uh, and your relationship in the, in the game industry. Sure. Um, I've been working mostly in sales and marketing for the last, I don't know, probably eight years or so in, in tabletop games. And before that, I worked in sales and marketing in uh, board and uh, book publishing, uh, university book publishing. And so some of those skills sort of carried over into tabletop. Um, but then I got really interested in branding and got really excited about board games as I rediscovered them through work. So I got to do some of what Sarah was mentioning, like finding artists and finding new designers and um, sourcing all kinds of different stuff for different companies that I've worked at. And so that's, that's a lot of what I like to do. But right now I'm working for Asmodee Digital. So instead of working on tabletop games, um, I am mostly marketing and doing social media and branding and all kinds of things like that for our apps. So we recently released Potion Explosion and Mysterium and Cult Express. Um, and so I, I focus on working with people to get videos made about that and making sure that people are aware that the games are coming out. Sends on me. I'm on mute now. You, you are just having a bad relationship even, with technology even, today. Even 102 episodes in, even know, Sutton right? forgets the mute button. Yeah, so. it's, uh, it's okay. It's a, uh, it's a bad tech day. It's like having a bad hair day, except on air. Um, so... <laughs> Sarah, how did you come into this role of, of working in board game companies? Because you used to work with Yellow as well, right? Yeah, so I've actually been in the board game industry for about 11 years now. So I started out, after I graduated college, I was working as a pulmonary immunologist and working at the university here in town. But my husband needed a job and there was a little tiny comic book shop for sale and I figured it would keep him out of trouble. So <laughs> he bought the store and uh, I worked there in the evenings, he worked there all day and eventually it just kept growing and growing and it was doing so well that I ended my career as a scientist and went on as his full-time manager for the store. But I wasn't content just doing that. I also was volunteering for Wizards of the Coast as part of their convention support team and eventually also uh, volunteered for World of Warcraft when they when Cryptozoic started doing the trading card game for them. And I love World of Warcraft. I play. I love so much and so when they called me up and said hey we're looking for somebody who understands retailers and can interface with them on our organized play team I couldn't resist so I moved down to California worked for Cryptozoic for a year in California before I just missed being at my store missed Montana too much so I moved back and worked remotely for another year and a half before um, Scott Gaeta left Cryptozoic and we lost the World of Warcraft license and things were just kind of changing and Yellow had this great opportunity for me as their sales manager. So I switched from working in organized play and sales for Cryptozoic to going over and working with Yellow for a year and a half, which was fabulous. They are really cool over there, make some really great games. 
I really enjoyed learning about the international perspective and working for an international company. Um, but then when Scott Gaeta from Cryptozoic uh, started his own company, Renegade, and then finally had an opening for me to move over there, I just had to go and work for him again because it was such a great experience the first time. So that's where I'm at now. Very interesting. Well, while we have two people that have marketing experience, this is something that I think is under uh, represented and talked about in the game industry. So I got to throw a question to Amber a little bit about um, what did your role look like when you did uh, marketing and consulting and why is there so little um, marketing or like there's no, I, I was asking you even earlier this week about like who are marketing firms for board games or what what's the marketing scene there? So could you kind of give a little bit of your experience and then kind of a, a temperature gauge of like what the industry is like when it comes to marketing in the board game scene? Sure, I can try. Um, so we talked about this earlier and I was saying that I, you know, it's really, I don't think that there are any board game marketing firms that I'm familiar with that I could recommend. I don't, it's just not something that, um, that I think that there's a lot of, I don't want to say that there's no demand for it because I think that there's starting to be more demand for it. Um, but I don't think that there's enough sustainable work that doesn't end up filtering back to being in-house work um, and being done better in-house a lot of the time. Um, usually it's a smaller company that's just getting started that isn't ready to commit to a full-time employee that wants to have someone, someone who's sort of outsourced um, doing their marketing. Or it's that there's somebody who's particularly good at one specific part of marketing. Um, so when I worked at Looney Labs, we hired a couple of contractors if we wanted to learn something new. So for example, um, we worked with a specific graphic designer who had a specialty in branding um, when we were doing a big branding project. And she brought a lot of expertise and taught us a lot about what we were doing. So I feel like I kind of got like a, a little course in, in branding just from working with her and doing a bunch of reading to, to understand what she was saying uh, while we were going through that process. And the same thing with social media. I really wanted to do a better job than just what I kind of did on my personal pages um, for the company. Um, and so we hired someone who was going to focus on really how to effectively use social media to drive sales and build a community. And I think that she was really helpful in teaching us. So so I think there's little, but I don't think there's anybody who specifically does it for board games. We kind of went and found somebody who was really good at branding just in general for any kind of product. And same thing for social media. Um, and I, I, I think it's just the case that people don't have enough regular work or they know that they're coming out with five games or 10 games this year. So they know they're going to need so much of it. It's not going to make sense to outsource it. They really want someone in house because then they get the benefit of having their perspective from on some of the things that Sarah's talking about that she was really excited about sort of producing games. You, you get to see that step by step and you get more feedback in the design process, which is I think really important. Um, you don't want to just finish a product and then hand it off to marketing. I think you really want marketing involved from the beginning so that you can say this, this really should be in this size packaging because it's a better fit for this type of store or this really won't sell in retail. This might be a better fit for, um, you know, for, for toy stores rather than hobby stores or might be a better fit for mass market rather than hobby. And so it's really nice to have that input from the beginning and know that from the, the when you're starting to source and price and figure out packaging size and components and what quality they should be. 
Um, Sounds like really cool stuff. I I actually kind of want to take a step back and and go over to Sarah and talk about your or your origin story. Uh, because it sounds really, really interesting. And uh, there's a lot of people out there who don't necessarily, maybe they're designing, maybe they're, you know, doing whatever with the game industry, but they, they want to crack in somehow. And I, I kind of want to know how you initially got in, like how much was just being involved with the community and how much was kind of personal drive and, and how did you get in there? Yeah, so really it started one day when I was sitting at the lab on my lunch break and I saw this little button on the top of the Wizards of the Coast website that said, click here to volunteer. <laughs> and I think that that's a, a not uncommon story. If you want to be part of this industry, you just have to jump in and start figuring out what you want to do in it, try some stuff, you've got to meet some people, and you've got to show that you really do want to work hard. Because this industry is filled with people who are very passionate and do this as a hobby, and that's awesome, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be good in a workspace or have skills that are beneficial to a company. So actually volunteering and getting out there and showing that you can do something useful is very important. That's getting a little bit harder. I know the volunteer community is shifting into contractors, so you kind of have to start out being more valuable, but I think there's still a lot of room for that. Convention support is a great way to start. Hey, hey, I unmuted. Yeah, that's a win <laughs> for me. Amber, I'm going to ask you the same kind of question. Like, how did you get into the, into the business end of it, and how do other people who really want to do something other than design and publish get into the board gaming industry? Um, so I got in because I started, I, I applied for a part-time job doing some accounting work um, because I was teaching myself graphic design because I knew I wanted, I'd been working in marketing and realized it was really important for me to understand how to use Photoshop and InDesign. And so while I was at home teaching myself all of those things, I needed some part-time work. Um, and so I just started doing some accounting work and some like part-time help at, at a board game company. And then once I had been in for, for a while, I, it became very clear that like I, I was interested in all these other things. I was interested in the games and I was interested in design and I was interested in marketing. And so I just tried to make myself as useful as possible and ended up with um, a sales title and started going to the shows. And I think when you start going to trade shows, it, you start building this network and seeing what everybody else does and um, learning from everybody else who's been in the industry for a long time. Um, I eventually met uh, Kristen Looney at a show and she had just gotten flux into Target. And so she wanted help marketing that um, for mass market. And they had always been in hobby for so long, but they, they hadn't really focused, I think, marketing for supporting a placement in Target. And so I went to work for her. And that was a really interesting opportunity because they had 20 years of games behind them that that were just you know available to play with and flux is such an interesting engine to apply different licenses to so i got to learn about licensing and branding and design and all kinds of different things that it was really a nice kind of play space and they were very free with allowing me to try new things um, they're very open to to playing around so i got to just try all kinds of stuff and i'm super grateful for that uh, opportunity um, but I think that that people who want to get into the industry, if they if they already work in marketing or sales, it's you know all they have to do I think is is what Sarah is saying, like come and show your value, volunteer or work as a volunteer like a contractor for Gen Con, and show that you're going to be a good member of the team, that you have a good work ethic, um, that you understand the industry, and you know I think a lot of the stuff you can learn on the job, the details of how the, the different tiers work and all that you can learn on the job, but 
if you have a good attitude and you have some good skills, like you're a good writer, you know, you can do copywriting. You just have to be very clear about what it is that you think your, your skill set is and how that can provide value to a company. Like, I see that your rules need some help. <laughs> Here's some things that I think would, would be really good. If you guys ever want to hire me for this, I, I'd be willing to do it at a reasonable rate. That kind of thing, I think, can go a long way. And um, that's how I ended up getting a lot of consulting work once I left Looney Labs. Um, I just was like, hey, this is a thing that I think you guys could be doing better. If you ever want to talk about it, like, I'll talk to you about it for free. But if you ever want me to do it, I'm happy to do it. And um, I ended up getting a lot of work that way. So. Um, I think it, it's important to be in the industry for a little while and, and know what you're talking about first before you go that far. But but I think what Sarah's suggesting, volunteering or doing that small bit of contracting work just to get a feel for the industry and know who the, the companies that you think resonate with what your skill set are. Um, you know, you don't want to go to a company that's got a super, uh, I, I think, built out marketing structure and... Um, as a person with no marketing experience, expect to run their marketing department. But there are a lot of smaller companies that are just starting on Kickstarter. So if you have experience crowdfunding or if you think there are ways that you can add value to their crowdfunding, something like that, you can suggest that to them. And I think people are really pretty open. I mean, the board game community is uh, full of lovely people and they usually are very open and willing to sort of say, we don't really need that right now, but I know that this company is looking for that. And um, that's super helpful. Absolutely. Uh, jumping back, um, one of the main uh, kind of viewer base that we have is a lot of uh, new designers. And we know uh, one of the main ways that designers try to get their games noticed is at conventions. So I'm curious, Sarah, if you could talk a little bit about some, uh, some tips or some things that you've seen people do well, and maybe also some warnings or uh, suggestions on how not to do things from your experience being at conventions? So I don't usually do that part of it. That's generally something that Scott handles most of the time. Um, but I know he's talked a lot about it on other podcasts about what works and what doesn't work. And it's going to be specific to the company. So my best bit of advice is really figure out who you're talking to, just like any interview. If you go to us and you start talking about a game that just is really wouldn't make any sense for us at all, then maybe that's going to be a problem. But if it's just a really good game, then we probably want to pick it up because that's kind of what we do. But then maybe Looney Labs doesn't want a super heavy Euro game, so that wouldn't make sense to talk to them about that. <laughs> so you need to know a little bit about who you're introducing your game to first and figure out the talking points for the game for them. But another suggestion I would have is doing the speed dating, not necessarily because you're definitely going to find a publisher there that'll pick that up, but it'll give you a lot of experience talking about your game so that when you do get the right opportunity, you're ready for it. Interviewing is all about practicing, and that's really what you're doing when you're pitching a game. Cool. I'd like to go back to Amber. And uh, Amber, I've been like really interested hearing about kind of all of the various skill sets that you've you've de developed over the years. And, and so I'd kind of like to give you the opportunity to speak directly about. Did you have a plan to develop your skill set? Were there certain skills you knew you needed right as soon as you got in? How did you develop them? And and, uh, and what skills are essential for you in the job you do? Well, I think that depends on what job I'm doing. So every job has been really different. Right now, it's actually, um, I'm doing a lot more work that I used to delegate to other people because Asmodee Digital is building. And so um, we're growing so quickly. We're building staff very quickly. But but that also means that we, we're all wearing a lot of hats. So it feels in some ways 
as, as much as we have uh, a lot of support and a lot of IP um, and all kinds of amazing resources, it sometimes feels like a startup because you're like, wow, we suddenly just got five new developers. <laughs> and um, on the marketing side, we just basically doubled our staff, I think, too. But I'm doing more stuff that I had usually sourced to other people, like copywriting, and I'm, I'm doing social media posts. Um, right now, I think online marketing is one of the most important things that anybody can learn to do. So learning how to use uh, Facebook advertising, Instagram ad advertising, and all that sort of thing, um, making sure that you know how to communicate with your, uh, your community, email marketing, all of that is super important. Um, but when I started out, I definitely did not have a plan. I knew that I really liked going, I got brought to a Barnes and Noble meeting one time and it was really, really fun. And I was like, oh, this is great. And I really like people. So anything that's sort of relationship building is fun for me. So when I get to do that stuff, like I have a little bit of business development that I get to do with my job now, which is mostly just making introductions between our director and uh, people who own IP. Um, but that part's really fun and I really just like sort of being around people. So <laughs> I, I try to get energy from that and then use that to sort of fuel the rest of the things that I'm doing. But I did have one thing that I did that was really helpful um, probably about five years ago. Uh, I was very confused about where what I wanted to do next and I was sort of like, well, I feel like I've hit a plateau in where I am right now. Um, so I hired a career coach who did a lot of blogging online and I started taking classes from her on, online. She would have like, you know, $200 classes and it would be like, if this is your personality type, this is the sort of thing like, you know, here's how to find things that are, that are your skill set because I think that's really difficult. Um, I think it's hard to know what you're good at and be honest with yourself about what you're good at. Um, and it's also very difficult for people to give you real clear, honest feedback when they have to work with you all the time. Um, so I hired this woman and she spent like, I think maybe an hour on the phone with me and then um, just trying to figure out, she was like, well, do you want to have kids now? Do you want to, um, you need to plan for that if you do, if you don't want to have kids now, and then the thing for you that's important is like getting to the next level of pay or title or, you know, whatever it is, or there are specific things that you want to do. And she sort of helped me uh, create a path to doing that. And she was like, you know, so here's how to rewrite your resume so it's results oriented and here's how to think about each of your jobs in terms of what you can provide to your employer and how you can make things better for them. And it really helped me focus um, and prioritize at, I think, you know, my, at, at the job that I had at that point and say, like, I really need to add value to this team and show that I can do that so then I can go to the next place and say, look what I did here. And, um, and I think sometimes you do have to, in this, in this era, like you have to, people used to stay at jobs for like tw their whole careers, like 30 years. And now I think people tend to switch jobs to level up. And so that I felt like that was something I had to do because I wasn't going to level up at the job that I had at that point. And so that's when I switched over to Looney Labs and it, I was, it worked out really well. They were really willing to let me drive a lot of different um, projects. And yeah, right now I, I feel like I'm kind of where I want to be. I'm getting to work on really exciting stuff with a lot of great designers. And I feel like I, through Asmodee, I have access to some amazing people, some amazing artists and designers. And I'm getting to market all of my favorite games, which is really nice, and say, hey, maybe we should work on that game because that one's a really fun, uh, fun title. And I'd like to work on marketing that. And um, so I think just kind of outlining for yourself what your priorities are for the next five years because it's hard to think about the next 10 years, but if you think about the next five years, it's a little bit easier to say, like, you know, I want to focus on my family right now, or I want to focus on my career right now, and um, 
those are just real questions that you have to be honest with yourself about. And uh, this woman was very, very helpful. Her name's um, Penelope something or other. Um, I can tweet about it later. But um, she was super helpful and she does this at an hourly rate. And yeah, it's like personnel. It's like a little bit weird because it's Myers-Briggs. Like they take a class for Myers-Briggs. And, it, and uh, she also taught about like blogging to, to sort of like explain what you do and who you are in the community because I felt like a lot of the designers get interviewed on podcasts and things like that. And it's really exciting to be here and talking to you guys about what we do um, because I think it does influence a lot of what you see on the shelf and people don't always know that. Um, and yeah, so it's it, if you make a little bit of a name for yourself and you just sort of tweet on your own, you at least like introduce yourself to people, people you find that people are actually really interested in what you do and how you can help them and um, you know, yeah. That's great. I'm really, 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 really uh, impressed at, you know, how you've kind of reinvented yourself um, or in the demo scene for Watsi or whatever that people can get into that aren't necessarily, you know, design or publishing, particularly the, the days. And I think that it's a lot harder to do now with board games. But I think there's a lot of room for that. So companies might not necessarily need somebody to do that full time, but somebody who can manage social media, who can help them out with maybe in community that they already have uh, through either social media forums, whatever, that type of person would be really helpful. Um, also, just doing things like what you guys do doing uh, reviews and that type of thing too is a great way to at least introduce yourself to a ton of different publishers and something that I as a publisher really value having great reviewer communities great people doing blogs and podcasts helps us as marketers get the word out about our games so that's something that if you have those skills you can show that to a publisher and say look I can do this type of thing I could also help you with your own blogging or social media or maybe you want to start a podcast so that would be also really interesting I think um, there's also like Amber said there's accounting some more behind the scenes stuff customer service uh, we actually at Renegade there are only five of us that are employees and we have one person it's Scott's wife, who's an accountant who does all the back-end processing, purchasing orders, that type of accounts receivable stuff. Then there's Jenny, who does part-time customer service for us, answering questions, sending out parts and pieces. That's a really incredibly important part of our industry that is often looked over. Then I do marketing and sales, and then Scott does product development and everything else. So they're in such a small company, two of those people are people you never even hear about. When was the last time you interviewed a customer service person, right? I don't know, so, but I think happen, you know? I think Yeah, there you go. And I think so, yeah, that's so it's an amazingly really, important thing, right? Because pieces get lost, cards get ripped. Absolutely. Especially if you're playing a legacy game, especially. <laughs> customer service for a legacy game would definitely be interesting. Yeah. So I think that yeah. Um, the interesting thing that you just said is that out of the five full-time employees at Renegade, how many are women? <laughs> so all of us except for Scott, actually. <laughs> That's really kind of neat. That's really cool. Oh, our graphic designer, Anita. Yeah, she's also a woman. So yeah. yeah, we have a fantastic crew. I can't imagine doing what we do without any of those people. So it's been really good. I uh, got a, a question, a follow-up to your comment before. You were talking about 
uh, building a brand and designers, you know, getting more involved with like Twitter and, and even maybe a blog or some way to interact. Can you expand a little bit on that, what designers could do, uh, and maybe point out a few examples of designers that you see are doing it well? Sure. I want to talk about something Sarah was saying first, though. Um, so she was talking about different people who are working in the industry, and I think customer service is absolutely one of the most important parts of uh, the industry that keeps things moving. Because one of the things about board games is that people get really excited about them and very passionate about them. So we have a lot of people writing in, and that's a lot of what social media management is about now too. Um, but if you guys ever want to interview somebody, I don't know if she she's I don't know how. I don't know if she, she does camera stuff usually, but um, Allison, who works at Looney Labs, is amazing, and she writes the most, she writes personalized like notes and postcards to people when she sends out replacement cards, and it's the most charming thing. Sometimes she has doodles on them, or people will tell her to write a pun, and she'll write jokes on them, and it's, it's amazing. And I think it's one of the things that's kept um, Looney Labs feeling like very close to its original fan base from decades ago and people feel really connected to the fact that these people have been part of the um, part of the same company for you know 10 15 20 years um, so I really really love that and when companies do that kind of detail work well and the other thing is uh, logistics that's a very very big part of what this industry is about we don't often see distributors on shows like this um, also, there are a lot of people who do weird things that you never know happen to make uh, games arrive at the right warehouses, <laughs> like managing warehouses. Doing I, I think that's called magic. I think it's yeah, magic. It, it is magic. Um, there's uh, someone named Fred who works at PSI, and I think his position is like senior planner, but he basically helps all of us publishers figure out how many games we're going to end up selling to all of the different channels, so through, through hobby, through mass, through book, and it's, it's really kind of magical what he does. It's uh, the numbers that he comes up with from, from nothing are just miraculous, and he makes sure that the warehouses still have games and make sure that we print them on time, um, and there are a lot of people who do that kind of thing. Also, like all kinds of logistical stuff. Like I used to do EDI stuff for um, Target, which is um, like basically you receive an order electronically and you have to go in and order these like labels and you have like a day to do it and overnight them to your warehouse and like make sure that everybody labels the boxes properly and wraps the pallets properly. And there are all these things that all these people are doing and I think no one ever knows about them. So board games can be really fun, but we don't like, you know, I'm sure people think that you guys spend your whole day playing board games. I'm sure you get that too. But, um, you know, it, it's nice being around them and it's nice being around the community, but there are a lot of different roles where you can add value to the industry that aren't necessarily public facing. Um, and I think sales and marketing is more public facing now that there's more and more board games out there and we have so many board games being printed every year. Um, it's become more of a focus because marketing is helping to make things stand out. So it's more valued now than it used to be. Um, but and that's why I think you guys have us here, and that's why where where five years ago I don't think people were talking about it um, in the same way. So, yeah. Anyway, um, you were talking about you asked me about branding and um, and game designers, and um, well, who's doing it well? I think that they're. I, I think you guys are doing it well. I mean, you're here doing this podcast, and you do it regularly, and you have interesting people on who you could see as your competitors, but instead you're like, we're just, you know, let's just build the community, um, which I think is really nice. Um, and I think it's, it's helping to facilitate interesting conversations. 
And I, I think there are a lot of people I really love. Um, I mean, they're not board game designers necessarily, but a lot of the people on uh, Meeple's included just do so much for the industry and are on Twitter all the time. And they are just like champions of positivity and inclusion in the industry, which I really appreciate. Um, that's like Suze and Maggie and Stephanie and Nicole. Um, and I'm sure there are more people that I'm forgetting, but those are the people I was on a podcast with them last week. Um, and, you know, yeah, Eric is a great example. Daryl just pulled him up in the chat. And Eric does a really good job, I think, of managing his, his uh, Twitter and making sure he does a lot of uh, presentations at, like, GDC, BGGCon, um, places like that. And so making sure that people have opportunity to ask them questions. And, um, like, Eric at GDC last week hosted uh, – he basically invited people to come in and just talk to him about how to break into the industry. And um, he – he didn't. He he had me sit with them because he did a really smart thing and said, "What do you really want to get out of this? Do you want to um, do you want to just have your name on a game, um, or do you actually want this thing to be in retail?" And I thought that was a really smart question, and it really helped people kind of focus. Do they want a job all the time, or do they really want to not have a job, just have their game out there, or do they actually want their game to be like you know talked about and successful? And I think those are really interesting questions that help focus people's efforts and energies. Um, so I think Eric does a really nice job of that. Um, and I don't know, there's more people, I'm sure. <laughs> those are the ones I'm in touch with a lot. So uh, that's what I think of. Yeah, when, so when you mentioned Stephanie, she uh, she's to me one of the most relentlessly, relentlessly positive people, supporting people. Like there's so many good people in this in this industry and like just, Amazing, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to say, you both have such multifaceted jobs and so have taken on so many different roles. I'm gonna pass this, this over to Sarah. Uh, from your perspective now that you're working as a producer and you're getting a chance to kind of see all the parts come together, where do the parts not exactly fit together? What could designers <laughs> Developers, yeah, not naming any names, right? What could designers, developers, graphic designers, and everyone do better to bring those parts together? What would what would really help bring the, the game together for you? And what kind of what could you tell our designers out there to do to help you? So one thing I've seen where there are occasionally cracks is just getting the rules figured out before you move on too much farther. Because if you can really have the rules set, you're totally finished with development, everything is set in stone. Then once you get to things like graphic design, it does make that part of the process a lot faster. And I think designers often underestimate how expensive graphic design can be. So if you spend way too much time changing the rules in the middle of doing graphic design, then you can really get yourself in trouble and that can cost a lot of money. So that's one place that things can fall apart, although I would say that hasn't been our experience often. It's just one thing I can see can happen um, and something designers can do pretty easily, I think, to, to help out. Another part of that process is just getting everything from the factory to the warehouse, to the retailers, to the consumers, with everybody knowing 
when all those things are going to happen and managing that whole process is something that there's so many parts of it that are uncontrollable and out of all of our hands that it can be tricky. Things like the port strike a few years ago was just really tough. And that wasn't anybody's fault. It just is something that happened and then you have to deal with it. So it's staying on top of where everything is so that your marketing hits at the right time and is as effective as it can be is really important. So as a designer, just staying back and waiting for the right person to tell you this is the right time is also really helpful. And we have worked with just amazing designers who have really done a great job of doing that with me, that it's made my job a lot easier. So when I say this is the right time to talk about this thing, they, they do it and they really go out and talk on Twitter, they post on BGG, they do everything right. And the more help we can get on that end of things, the more successful that launch is going to be and the longer legs that game is going to have. So those are some of the places I can see things being potentially problematic, but usually it'll work out if everybody's staying on top of things. To kind of bridge off of what Sarah was saying about marketing, uh, because that is kind of both of your areas of speciality. Uh, why, why is board game marketing, why was it not a thing before and why is it a thing now? I mean, typically we find ourselves just, you know, preaching to the choir, shouting into the void. How do we actually market to a new audience to get more base, more people into the gaming industry? Oh, this what is such think? a good question. Um, I love this question. Um, well, so marketing board games was definitely a thing before. There are people who have been doing it for, for a long, long time. And um, I think that people like Mike Webb have been doing this for a long time. I'm sure there's more, but the, I, I know Kristen had, was doing all kinds of crazy marketing. for. They've been doing like a holiday gift mailing that they've done for now 20 years, I think, uh, the Looney Labs has. Um, sorry, I'm using first names and assuming everybody knows who I'm talking about because I, I see these people very often. <laughs> um, but... I think um, I think right now we're in a different era because you you have a lot more marketing that you can measure and so you can see the impact. Um, digital marketing is just a lot easier. Um, when you would take out a print ad in a magazine, it was very difficult to tell if anybody was looking at it and if it had an impact on anybody's buying choices. Um, when you take out a Facebook ad and you can watch your followers grow from 10,000 to 15,000 in the period of two weeks because you spent money on it, and um, then, then you know that people are seeing that new trailer for Potion Explosion. Um, uh, you you can do the same thing for different contests and you can just make sure that more eyeballs you can say I'm gonna target somebody who likes um, who follows Geek and Sundry or I'm gonna target somebody who likes this license that I have um, Adventure Time because we made Adventure Time Flux and you can go after those specific mar specific markets on Facebook in a way that I think is uh, is really new I know there are ways to do it with with Google and a lot of other you know different sort of ad placement things but I think those are very effective I think we also see um, Amazon doing an interesting job of it. I'm sure you all get ads for the different games you look up on Amazon uh, popping up all over your internet and um, making you a little crazy. And uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of different stuff that, like that that you can just actually see the impact of. So it makes more sense to say we're gonna spend money on it. Um, it was harder to justify those costs before. And um, I think especially because there's so many games out right now, the marketing has to be good if it's going to take off because I'm sh there are great games coming out that just don't get noticed. Um, and it's, I wouldn't even say the marketing is bad. I think the marketing is fine it's, and it's good, but it's not like it's not a focus. It's not like a hero game for the company. It's not the, their main game of the year. So it often will get overlooked. There's a game that I love from Yellow 
called Sea of Clouds. And, um, Yay, and it, I love that game so much. And I feel like it didn't really get that much attention. Like I didn't see it on a lot of lists and stuff, but it, I mean, I know it was marketed. I've, I saw it places enough that I bought it, but, um, you know, it, it's interesting to me that that one didn't end up getting on to like board game geek lists and all these things. I think Sarah does a really good job of pushing people to get all the Renegade games voted for so that they get to the top of the BGG list. I mean, they like focus on that and it gets them a lot of attention at Renegade. But, um, you know, if, if you decide, if you don't do that kind of thing, you're not going to get your BGG crowd. If you're talking about how to expand board games, I think we need to start looking outside of our base, outside of Geek and Sundry, outside of the people who are coming to Gen Con, outside of the people in Board Game Geek, and really say, like, how do we get lifestyle magazines to start talking about their game nights and covering things that include Catan, but maybe also one more indie game. Um, and I think that's, that's the stuff that really kind of moves the needle and normalizes gaming in society and makes it more like it is in Europe, I think. Um, so it's not just this, this hobby that, that people who um, are nerdy do. Uh, and I think people are more open to that now, um, especially because people are, are so, so focused on their phones all the time and technology all the time. It's really nice to be able to put down your phone and play a game. And people are in wider places are marketing that. And I think especially as video games are exploding, that crowd is also doing a really good job of marketing. Um, and they talk about board games more and more, which is helping us grow the base of people who wouldn't have otherwise played anything other than Catan. So there's, that's a group that I target a lot. Um, so. Awesome. Uh, going back to Sarah, uh, you mentioned that uh, with the Renegade team, you have this really great group of you know, designers and graphic artists and different people wearing lots of different hats. And I know a little bit as well that you have kind of an internal network where you even utilize each other, the different designers that have worked together. Can you describe that a little bit? Because I know, like, for instance, Kane has been a designer, but he's also done art. And, you know, Jordan and Mandy, I've heard things from as well, and et cetera, Chris. And so can you describe that a little bit for our viewers that wouldn't be familiar about it? Yeah, so when we sign up for a project, and we get a designer on board and buy their game. We don't just tell them to go away, <laughs> which is kind of what occasionally happens in this industry. Sometimes you'll just buy a game and then that's it. You do everything else moving forward. But we love to keep the designers involved. So we have a Slack setup. And if you're not familiar with Slack, it's just sort of an internal chat system where you can have lots of different channels that are all targeted towards different things that can have different people in them. So we'll start a new Slack channel for every single different game that we are working on. And we invite the graphic designers, the artists, the design, the uh, game designer, and then everybody from our internal team are all on that Slack channel. And then we all talk about um, what's going on with the project. So if we have questions about how the game works or does this piece of artwork fit, then we're all there in one place and we can talk about it. And I think that our games are just a million times better because we do that from the very beginning to the end. The designer is part of the process and can be our product champion when it comes to that. They can be uh, answering questions. They can just help us make the best product possible. So occasionally it'll mean that things go a little more slowly than they would have otherwise because just so many more voices taking part in that conversation. But I think as long as we end up with a better game in the end that's okay uh, more voices is always good uh, i'm going to go back to amber because i've realized that we have completely skipped over the digital part of the asmodee digital um let's 
Let's talk about what games make the transition. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a tough call. I don't even know how they make those decisions. I, I mean, when I came on board, we were really close to launching Colt Express already. So it wasn't like I, I was any part of that decision making. Um, I know that um, our dev team is largely like old Days of Wonder guys. And our CTO is Jan, who was with Days of Wonder and a founder of Days of Wonder. Um, so we have like a lot of legacy Days of Wonder love in-house. In um, and then, of course, we have access to all of the IP that Asmodee has. Um, but I think we're also doing a really good job of reaching out to other publishers and starting to work with them. I think uh, when we talk about how do we grow the board game community, I think there's a lot of opportunity to do that through apps and through um, digital versions of board games. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Um, with Ticket to Ride, you saw, I, I read some old interviews, and I think I talked about this somewhere last week, but um, I was reading some old interviews from Days of Wonder when they first started out, and apparently Ticket to Ride, I didn't know this, was a, was hosted just on a website, and people could just come on and play for free. And so eventually then they turned it into like a, a paid service, and then it was an app, and then it launched with the iPad. And so it got in front of all these new people because every iPad that went out had a copy of Ticket to Ride on it, and it just it made people start playing it. Um, so I think the more board game apps that are out there, the more that we're reaching new audiences. It's a lower price point to start out with, and you have a tutorial that guides you through the setup. And you don't have to worry about any of the accounting or any, you know, figuring out the rules or messing something up and figuring out you played wrong the whole time because the, the app won't let you. Um, I actually have been really enjoying learning new games through the apps as we release them because I, sometimes I don't get a chance to play all of these new games. Like I hadn't played Potion Explosion. Um, and then, then we got the, the app. And so I played against the robot and I was like, it was really fun to go from beating the easy robot to beating the hard robot and then learning to play the game in real life. Um, and I, I think that's a really nice experience for people to have. So I think the better developed the board game apps are and the more accessible they are to people who are not familiar with the, with the tabletop game, um, the more that we're able to draw those people in. And that's the big focus of what I'm doing. And it's one of the things I'm really passionate about is getting people who are maybe not comfortable calling themselves gamers or maybe not comfortable like sitting down and, and um, setting up a tabletop game for their family or for their friends, um, making them really comfortable with it. Because you, it's so much easier to play five rounds of Mysterium on your phone than it is in person. And then you're like, yeah, I know how this works. I've been through this process five times. I can definitely host a party night, and a game night, um, and teach people how to play this. Um, and I'm comfortable being the ghost because I've been a psychic, you know, four times before as when I played with the app. And so that's really nice, I think. And that's a that's a good way to be growing the community as well. Excellent. Uh, before we get to Sarah's questions about apps or my questions about apps to Sarah, Nate Murray uh, wants to know what percent of budget for each game do you devote to marketing? So I'll pose that to both Amber and Sarah right now. Amber, you want to answer that? Uh, I think there's like a, a number that you're supposed to, like I think there's a real number that that like business people say you're supposed to do. Like it's supposed to be, I, Kristen and I talked about this once. I think it's supposed to be like 15% or 20% of like your somewhere between 10 and 20 of your total revenue should go to back to marketing, um, which is not something I, I. I mean, I think it's it's it depends on what you call marketing. Um, if and I think most companies that I've been at have spent a lot more on marketing. 
um, mostly because I've, I've pushed them to spend a lot of money on marketing, probably. Um, it's Amber's also, fault. <laughs> um, but no, like Asmodee Digital is spending a lot of marketing because they want to, I mean, it's a new company and they need to get the brand out there. And also we really want to be expanding beyond the, the normal player base. Um, so we're spending a lot of mar marketing for that reason. But um, like I know when I was at Northstar, we spent a lot of money on advertising um, because they had wits and waiters in mass market and that made a lot of sense for them because it's how you know If you can drive sales in in target Well, that's I mean target wants to keep you there because you're helping them get more people in the door Specifically going to your store if you have your ads every time call out targets name So there's some basic like advertising principles that that make a lot of sense, but I, I don't think it, It's really hard to say like what number should you put per game? I mean, I, th I think companies really need to decide a budget from the beginning for the year and then prioritize their games and say, we're going to have one real hero game for the year and we're going to have like three like second tier games and we're going to have, you know, the rest of them are all going to get baseline marketing. And that first game is really like that top tier game is, the, is gets a lot of focus and, um, and you just have to kind of bet on those, those products that you think are going to be your biggest winners and you think you're going to have the widest appeal. Yeah, I mean that's Com that's the way. Yeah, coming yeah. out in the same year with the same company that did Pandemic Legacy. Yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> it's actually okay. It's, it was fine, uh, but I totally fine, get, fine. I, I totally get why why uh, Zenit did that. That's, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, Sarah, uh, Scott Scott Gata is saying you guys spent too many dollars. On Mark, I'm not sure what he's, he's, he's on the feed right now. But um, so, how does uh, how does Renegade handle the marketing end of things? Well, I would agree with Amber that I don't think there's just one number. I don't think there's a percentage that would. That's kind of a traditional idea that there is just this number that you should be spending. But I think that with social media and the advertising you can do on that, and all of these shows that we go to it's really going to be dependent on the products you have coming out and what the opportunities are for them and what makes the most sense to be spending at each time. So it's good to think about that stuff and make sure you're not just spending a billion dollars making keychains for no reason, but you, because <laughs> is that really going to make a difference? Probably not. But should you put an ad in Meeple Monthly or Game Trade Magazine, those types of decisions are certainly worth considering, and that kind of stuff can make a big difference. Um, so yeah, it just it depends on the company, what you have going on, and what opportunities you have at the time. So that's a tricky question for sure. Mm. So back to the apps, um, what is your relationship, Sarah, with Re uh, Renegade between Renegade and Direwolf, and how has that come to be, and where's it going in the future? Because there's some amazing yeah, those stuff are, coming out. Yeah, <laughs> Wolf is fantastic. So Scott knew a lot of those guys back from when he used to work at Decipher. So it's been really fabulous that we already had that relationship with the guys who are currently at Direwolf because they are a digital apps company. They make digital apps for a lot of things like as a digital app, stuff like that, that you would all recognize and just not realize that it's Direwolf doing it. So, so they're an awesome company that has a ton of employees who can do things really quickly. But of course, because they're all gamers, they had a few of these board game designs just sort of sitting around on the shelf that they had worked on that they didn't plan on really doing anything with. But when 
Scott contacted them and started talking to them about doing a digital app for lanterns, that relationship sort of extended to, hey, we also have this thing that you could do for us, which is working on Clank. And so we've been physically publishing Clank. They are digitally publishing lanterns. And we have a lot more going on behind the scenes that I'm very excited to share with you guys eventually um, that we're working on with them. So we do have the app for Clank, which is very cool. It adds some extra content. And I think that that is something that we're definitely going to see more growth in, where you have a game and you want to play it with real people, because that's why we're here. But you will also want to have some extra content on this app that provides an extended play experience, something more you get out of that board game. But I don't think we're going to see too much of losing that face-to-face -face experience. With the stuff that Amber's doing is really interesting because I think it's great that you can learn a game through the app and play it when you're on a plane or when you're uh, on a train or whatever, but then you can come back home and actually spend some time with some real people. I think that's fabulous because it extends the reach of these games that we're making to a more casual crowd that there's a lot more of them than there are hardcore gamers. So that's really important for us growing this entire industry and is part of the reason I think why there can be people like Amber and I with the marketing job because we are extending that reach beyond where we were five or 10 years ago. Absolutely. I, I'm discovering how much more need we need for marketing people to come into this industry. I'm still floored that there's like no consultants or, or things like that that are available. They're all, they're all getting scooped up by these good companies. So um, we, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, but we have reached our time for the last question for each guest. I'm going to point this one to Amber. Uh, could you give a little advice to anyone that wants to get into the digital game scene when it comes to board games and digital? Any advice uh, for people trying to break their way into that specifically? Oh, that's interesting. I, you know, I wish that I really knew how to do that. Um, I think that I kind of miraculously ended up here, and I just feel super lucky to be here. But um, I, I, uh, I went to GDC recently, and I think that gave me a little more insight about how people end up with their jobs. Um, and I, I think there are a lot of companies that are uh, they're looking for people who can. I mean, people people who can code for sure, um, but. It seems like there's a lot of development studios, but they don't necessarily do a lot of marketing. Or there's people that can um, that specialize in like freemium games, and there's they know all of the economies behind that, which I found fascinating, and I didn't know anything about before. Um, so. I mean, I think you just really have to figure out what what kind of specific thing that you want to do, and then look at the companies who are doing that sort of stuff. Um, I, I, at GDC, I found it fascinating to see just how many different tech companies there were and how many app companies there were. Um, if it's board game apps specifically that you're interested in, I think you look in the app store and you see who's actually making these games. Um, for example, with Asmodee Digital, we partner with a lot of different studios all over the world. Um, we partner with uh, Virtuous in China and Playsoft and um, another company called Freema. And there are some more companies that we haven't announced yet that we're working with. Um, and uh, all of those people are working on board game apps, but you don't necessarily see that publicly because they don't, you know, they don't, you, it's in the press releases. So you kind of have to pay attention to who's tweeting about your favorite board game apps. Look at what they're making just like you would on the board game space and, uh, and then, you know, get in touch with them. 
So I have the honor of asking the last question of Sarah here. And I wanted to ask, we already kind of talked about your origin story. So what we normally ask is like how people can break into the design industry, become a better designer. But I, I kind of want to see, we talked about a bunch of different jobs in the games industry. What kind of stuff can you not do now that you foresee in the future? There may be people doing in the future in the board game industry. Ooh, that's a really tough question. You mean like before maybe there wasn't enough money for people to be just a marketing person and now there is because we have more gamers and it's more worthwhile? That's kind of what you're asking? Basically, yeah. There's more and more stuff that, that uh, board game companies are doing and we will need specialists to do in the future. I see. Well, I think that some of these companies are certainly going to grow and we're already seeing that some consolidation, of course, with Asmodee and some other companies that are just kind of getting a little bit bigger. And I, I would love to see someone, and this has already happened a little bit before, but I would love to see more people who are specialized in interacting with retail stores. And I've done a bit of that, but of course I had other jobs as well um, within Cryptozoic that I was doing, but that was my target main job. And that's a pretty unusual position to have. I think that as the value of retail stores becomes more obvious, um, that because retail stores really can push a brand new audience to our games by reaching out to communities individually, by getting the word out in a really grassroots way that should be very effective as more and more people get into the industry. So having a specialized person who interacts with those retail stores and helps them get to where they want to be, I think is very valuable. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you so much, Amber in the darkness and Sarah with uh, a mystery guest floating around in the background. <laughs> we appreciate uh, you joining us and hanging out with us and chatting. I feel like we barely scraped the surface. There's so much good stuff. So people, please feel free to keep the conversation going. Uh, you can do that online. I'm sure you can uh, reach out to Amber and Sarah. They would love to chat with you if you have specific questions or ideas. Meanwhile, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to Dylan and Sen uh, for uh, joining me and uh, running this crazy show. Uh, to everyone out there, keep making great games. We look forward to playing your games soon. Ciao. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys.